Hi, I'm Cliff Brangwin from Princeton University and Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And I'm uh, excited to tell you about some of the work we're doing uh, using light to study and control intracellular phase behavior. Um, this image we have here is actually an example of that, and I'll, I'll explain that. But we now have ways where we can really control uh, phase transitions in living cells. So that some of the things that I've been telling you about in the last uh, two lectures uh, we're, we're now at the point where we can start to control those processes in living cells uh, to understand them and also uh, to, to, to engineer them for, for different applications. So uh, this was really born from uh, sort of uh, dreaming of intracellular phase diagrams. So, so what does that really mean? Uh, so I tried to convey to you in the last lectures um, about uh, some of the physics of phase separation and the way in which we can uh, understand at a really quantitative level how phase transitions occur in living cells. Um, this is a phase diagram from my undergraduate days. At, I was an undergraduate at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, that's in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, the football team is called the Steelers, and they're called the Steelers because there's a long history of uh, the steel industry. And so, uh, so we, uh, in my undergraduate days, we spent a lot of time looking at phase diagrams of steel. Um, which uh, one can think about then. Uh, the y-axis here is temperature, and the, uh, the x-axis is uh, composition, in this case, weight percent carbon. So, of course, at high enough temperature, you have a liquid state, and as you lower the temperature, uh, it solidifies. Uh, but it's not just one type of solid, but a number of different types of solids that can form as a function of temperature and weight percent carbon. Those different types of steel have different uh, electronic... Uh, optical properties, magnetic properties, um, and, and uh, really are important for the application. And so we've started thinking about maybe some of the phase transitions that we see in living cells, we can start to uh, approach a rich quantitative understanding that is, uh, that is uh, sort of standard in material science and soft matter physics. Can we start to get there in living cells and understand uh, these different types of phases that form and the properties that they have and how those properties confer uh, biological function. The problem with this vision of, of, of uh, mapping intracellular phase diagrams is there really are no tools to control phase transitions, to study them in a controllable way, one could say, within living cells. So anytime you want to work on a problem, you know, your car is broken or, or uh, you know, there's uh, a picture you want to hang in your, in your house, you need tools. And so um, we've been limited in the kinds of tools that we have uh, for studying these processes in cells. Where, uh, you know, it's kind of a new way of looking at organization in cells, and we've been really using the same old tools, which has been uh, limited in, in a lot of ways. So what we've been thinking about is trying to use um, the knowledge we're gaining at a fundamental level about the cell biophysics and how that works inside of a living cell um, to engineer tools uh, to control and, and further study study these phase transitions in cells. The idea then uh, that the tools that we build can feed back on our fundamental knowledge uh, to, to push the field forward. So we see this kind of virtual uh, loop feedback uh, between the fundamental and the applied. And so, um, so I, I told you in the last uh, in the last two lectures a little bit about these intrinsically disordered regions, IDRs or, or IDPs and how they're important um, in promoting phase separation in, 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 uh, in, in cells. And I showed you these examples of proteins that when we purify them and put them in, in a test tube, uh, they'll, they'll readily phase separate into these condensed uh, liquid states. So we started thinking about 
this as a, as a, a key piece of knowledge on the fundamental cell biophysics side, um, can we use this knowledge then to engineer to engineer uh, uh, tools to, to 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 really control phase transitions? And so we started thinking about uh, this field of optogenetics, um, which is um, so, uh, an area that's um, really grown enormously over the last few years. It's the idea of borrowing proteins and, and engineering proteins um, that are responsive to light. So in many of these, uh, uh, of these uh, proteins are things that uh, dimerize in response to light, so the interactions are only on when light is on or, or, or perhaps only um, uh, on when light is off. Um, they can form oligomerized states, so uh, the interactions will form uh, weak dynamic clusters in response to light and so forth. And we thought, well, maybe we can combine uh, th these tools with um, our intrinsically disordered uh, protein regions to, to really try to control uh, the phase transitions in living cells. And so this work was spearheaded by a really talented uh, postdoc in my lab, Young Dae Shin, who's now a faculty member at Seoul National University. And it was a collaboration with my colleague, Jared Tocher, who's also at Princeton. And so the idea was, can we use these light-sensitive interaction domains, hook them up to intrinsically disordered regions, uh, and then use light to sort of toggle uh, uh, the interactions and, and, and control uh, where the cell is in, in, uh, in, in, in the phase diagram and map the phase diagrams and, and all of those kinds of things. So one can think about this as, um, in many cases, what we're doing is using um, this yellow protein domain would be a light-dependent um, interaction module. There's a protein called CRY2, which is from a plant uh, called Arabidopsis, and it's in response to blue light forms these weak clusters. And, and then so together with the uh, intrinsic kind of interactions that are, that are uh, promoted by the, the disordered regions, um, we, we wondered whether we could control the phase behavior. And so this is an example of a protein that's hooked up to this protein FUS, uh, which is, as I mentioned before, was, is an RNA binding protein um, that's, uh, that's uh, really important and, and has been identified as, as a key driver for phase transitions in cells. And so we hook up this protein uh, to the, the CRY2 blue light dependent interaction module and express it in cells. You see the different cells that are expressing at different levels. So some of the cells are bright, they're expressing at high level, and some of them are less, uh, less bright. And when we shine uh, blue light on these cells, we'll watch what happens. So initially, at the lowest laser setting, um, the, there's nothing that happens, but we turn up the laser power, and then we'll start to see uh, these uh, condensates form within the nucleus. Um, but not in the cytoplasm, and also not in the low-expressing cells. And then when we turn up the laser power even more, uh, you see that these these droplets, these condensed forms uh, of, of this optofus construct form throughout uh, the cytoplasm uh, and even in the low-expressing cells. Uh, you can also get a sense from this movie that there's really a switch-like, a threshold for assembly. Um, and we've done a lot of quantitation and, and, and uh, identified the key parameters that control that. It, it's the concentration of the activated state of the molecule has to exceed a threshold, what we call the saturation concentration, in order to cross the phase boundary and to, and to phase separate. Now, we've uh, been playing around with this quite a lot. We've hooked up really dozens of different proteins. Um, when, in the absence of the intrinsically disordered region, 
Um, uh, really nothing happens, as you'll see in this movie in a moment, um, but we can hook up any number of different intrinsically disordered regions, and, and uh, in general, they tend to really uh, drive this phase separation and this light-dependent phase separation. Um, so this has been a really powerful tool for interrogating uh, the sequences, that, the particular disordered sequences that, that best promote phase separation, the ones that don't, and also the connection with disease, as I'll explain a bit later. Um, so this connection with disease is, is, is really a key aspect of, of what, what we wanted to get at with these tools. Um, and, and I talked about this a little bit in the previous lectures, but uh, the idea is that these intrinsically disordered regions, or in, more generally proteins that have this multivalent character, um, can drive phase separation within living cells into what we view as really physiological liquid states that are uh, in all of our cells right now um, and, and are important for the function in cells, but can transition into these solid states. And the problem is this picture has is, is been hard to test within living cells because of this lack of tools. So this mechanistic understanding of the links between these different states of matter are really uh, still being sorted out, and a lot of that has to do with this lack of tools. And so uh, we wanted to try to understand, then, um, these kinds of transitions and use the tools we've developed to look at uh, liquid states and solid states and the transitions between them and, and try to understand that quantitatively. Um, a key technique which I want to introduce is something called fluorescence recovery after photobleaching, um, uh, or FRAP. And FRAP is a, is a way in which we uh, are using... Um, uh, microscopy, a simple microscopy approach to interrogate the molecular dynamics within these condensed states. And this gives us some sense for whether uh, condensed assemblies are more liquid-like or more solid-like. And the idea is that the liquid state, in general, is associated with a, a, a dynamic exchange of the subunits uh, from within to the external environment. There's a an equilibrium between uh, the concentration inside and the concentration outside. Um, and, and that one can view as, as essentially reflecting uh, the vapor pressure or the dew point, if you like, when thinking about water. Uh, there's some concentration outside that, uh, that has to be exceeded. That's a saturation concentration. And it's in equilibrium with the concentration inside the droplet. Now, that's for this liquid state. And so if we were to turn off uh, some of these molecules, if we fluorescently label them and then turn them off in some region and ask, uh, does the fluorescence recover? Does it come back within that region over time? If it's a liquid state, then that would tend to be the case. It would tend to be true that these molecules, if they're dynamically exchanging with the surroundings, then they should exchange with non-bleached versions um, of themselves. And in that case, then what we would see is that uh, the fluorescence within this region over time, initially would be at some region here, it would bleach, go down, and then over time recover. Uh, in, in principle, the fluorescence could fully recover. Now, if it's a more solid state and the, dyna and, and the dynamics of molecules are much slower, so if the molecules are just kind of sitting there and not in this dynamic liquid uh, kind of organization, then we would more expect to see that the bleaching does not recover, so it would just stay at this low, low, um, low level. And so what, what we've been doing is using these tools to interrogate the material states um, using uh, FRAP and, and other methods. But uh, what I'm showing you here is a, a FRAP recovery curves um, from the, these optodroplet uh, uh, condensates that are formed within, within the cells. And what you see is that 
when we only moderately supersaturate the cell, so just push the cell just a little bit over the, the, the parent uh, phase boundary, what we see is that there are these condensed liquids. They're nice and round. And when we uh, do this FRAP experiment, we see that there's full recovery of the fluorescence intensity. So there's really dynamic molecular exchange between the molecules inside the condensed state and, and the surroundings. But if we push the system harder, if we more strongly supersaturate the system uh, using these, these technologies, what we find is that uh, we start to see things that n now really don't look like liquid droplets. They don't relax into a round spherical shape like water droplets. Um, and also, when we do this FRAP recovery curves, what we find is that there's no longer dynamic molecular exchange between the inside and the outside of the condensed state. Uh, so what this says is that the degree of supersaturation is, is uh, connected to the material state of the, of the condensed, uh, uh, of, of the condensate that we form. Another aspect of that is the reversibility of, of, of these materials. So how reversible are the assembly and disassembly? So we can shine light on the system and it assembles. We can also turn the light off and it disassembles. And what we've been uh, finding is that when we only moderately supersaturate the system, which is associated with this, these liquid states that I showed before, um, the system is very reversible. So we can do cycles where we turn the light off and the, they dis disappear, assemble them again, turn them off again, and it just keeps, they disassemble every time. When we push the system harder and form these more gel-like states, now what we start to see is that the recovery is incomplete and it, and it gets worse and worse over time. So we think that what's happening is these solids start to become associated with kind of irreversible uh, pathological states that the cell can, can no longer disassemble, that when we turn the light off, they no longer disassemble. And, and that's really interesting uh, for probing uh, uh, pathological aggregation in, in the context of these disease states. So um, we, we, you know, the, um, some of the initial studies we did using these technologies, in particular this, uh, this paper uh, from 2017, we were, um, had this conceptual phase diagram to understand the behavior that we were seeing. What you see here is on the uh, y-axis, this would be the concentration of the inactive molecules, and on the x-axis would be the concentration of the uh, activated molecules. So a cell expressing these, these constructs at a given level um, would, would, um, would uh, be able to move on a line that connects these two axes. So in other words, before we turn the light on, uh, you're at a particular location on this uh, y-axis, and then when we turn the light on and start to increase the concentration of active molecules, uh, we're going to be moving down some axis like this and potentially have all the molecules in this active state. When that happens, we would be crossing into this uh, blue phase, uh, demixed region of the phase boundary, where um, the system would then start to phase separate. So this is essentially the phase, the phase boundary we'd have to cross. And so if we move shallowly into the two-phase region, in other words, moderately supersaturate the system, um, then the system gets into this two-phase region and it phase separates. The condensed state is going to be associated with this side of the binodal boundary. So it's going to have a concentration dictated by this, this, this right side of the boundary. And that is, you know, a lot of work we've been doing, right, suggests that this is, um, the, you know, these can be nice liquid states. But when you push the system harder and it goes more deeply into the two-phase region, we think what's happening is as 
as the cell starts to phase separate, these condensates are hitting some kind of a arrested gelation boundary where um, they're, they're starting to uh, be concentrated and, and form more solid-like states. Those solid states over time, we think, can mature into pathological assemblies like those found in disease, which are no longer reversible when we turn the light off. So, this picture then of the transitions between the different states of, of matter, between uh, soluble gas-like states, the liquid states, and, and the, uh, these, these solid states, which are, we think, in many cases associated with pathology, are important for controlling the flow of genetic information. This is a, a key concept that we're, we're trying to explore using these tools. And so the idea is that um, DNA to RNA to protein, the liquid state is probably promoting this flow of genetic information, but the solid state might be arresting it, and that can cause problems for uh, the function of the cell. And ultimately, in, in the neurodegenerative diseases, can uh, cause dysfunction, uh, neuronal death, and cognitive impairs, and so forth. Now, um, as I mentioned, that you know, the outside of this talk, our, our vision moving forward is to really be as quantitative as possible and to start to um, measure very precisely these phase diagrams within living cells. The, the uh, study that I just told you about was a great first start on that because we can start to interrogate the connection between the degree of supersaturation in these material states. But we really are only beginning, um, you know, in that study, we really were only starting to be able to um, quantify this phase diagram. What I just showed you um, was a schematic, of course, of the phase diagram. So we wanted to go to the next level and try to um, uh, uh, try to build on on uh, some of the insights that we're gaining from the, uh, these these assemblies in uh, in endogenous, you know, non-engineered systems. And so we've been fo focusing a lot on um, uh, the nucleolus, and I mentioned some of the work we've done uh, on nucleophosphin. Uh, and, and, and this protein that phase separates and forms the outer layer of the nucleolus. So this, as with a uh, number of other proteins inside cells, <clears throat> has an oligomerization domain that promotes its pentamerization, so it forms these pentamers, and that, that uh, pentamerization is really uh, essential for its ability to phase separate. So what we thought about was maybe we can um, engineer these systems uh, kind of in a biomimetic fashion uh, to drive phase separation by oligomerizing around a particular uh, a core particle. In this case, um, we're using a self-assembled core particle uh, uh, engineered from uh, ferritin, which forms this 24-mer self-assembled particle in, in cells. And we've engineered it such that each of the subunits contains one of a dimerization pair, a heterodimer that is a light-dependent um, interaction. The other of the dimerization pairs we hook up to any number of proteins we like. We're doing a lot with these intrinsically disordered regions. And the idea then, the, the, uh, the take-home from this is that when we shine light on the system, um, you'll then get uh, assembly of these intrinsically disordered regions around the core particle. And we can ask, how does that relate to the phase separation ability uh, to really control it and, and, and interrogate it in a quantitative fashion? And so this is a movie I'm going to show you um, where we shine light on cells. You see uh, nucleus of a cell, another cell, and so forth. Uh, we're primarily expressing these constructs within the nucleus of cells because that's the biology we're most interested in, uh, but it also works in the cytoplasm. Um, and so shine light on the cells, and you see that 
um, we form these beautiful condensed liquids uh, throughout throughout these cells, and and uh, done a lot of um, uh, quantification of of, of, of uh, their properties, and they really are uh, quite quite fluid. Um, so what's very powerful about this is it enables us to, for the very first time, map of the phase diagram within um, within a living cell. So towards uh, doing the kinds of things that are sort of well-known in non-living systems where we can say where are the phase boundaries, what are the concentrations of the condensed states, what are the modes of phase separation, how are they linked to the material properties, and so forth. And so um, on this axis, this is basically the degree of occupancy of this core particle, the IDRs. You can think about this essentially as modulating the interaction energy because each, each intrinsically disordered region that's associated with the core contributes by a, you know, a set amount of, of, inter, of, of potential interactions. Um, and this is a concentration, uh, the, the, the core uh, concentration. So um, the cells that are shown with the red dots are ones that do phase separate. The cells that are shown in these red Xs do not phase separate. And for those that do phase separate, when they, when they phase separate, they, they phase separate into a low concentration phase that's defined, defining this end of the boundary, what we call the binodal curve. And then they're forming uh, condensed states that are defining the, the, the right side of, the, of this binodal curve. Now, you'll notice that I have another line within this phase diagram, and, I'm, and I'm, I have this label spinodal. So what does that mean? So in the first lecture, I talked about interactions and the idea that the interactions between molecules, in this case intrinsically disordered regions, uh, and, 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 and the, these proteins, um, has to overcome the entropic uh, tendency to keep things mixed. And I showed this phase boundary, that what, what um, is really called the binodal boundary, between when, when the system tends to be mixed and when, when it tends to be demixed, when it tends to phase separate. What I didn't tell you is that there is this other boundary, which is called the spinodal, which I'm showing schematically here, there's another boundary within, and what this delineates is a boundary between two different modes of phase separation. Um, within this binodal region, um, there's what's called nucleation and growth. And that's where you have, tend to have well-defined particles that nucleate and then start to grow as distinct uh, spherical particles. And so within the demixed spinodal region, instead of starting as a distinct particle that then growing, what you really have is a, is a, um, a, a sort of a gradual evolution of the, of the concentration profile that looks more like this. So this is really well known in non-living systems, and uh, we've started to ask, you know, is, can we get to the point where we can actually measure these boundaries within living cells using these tools we've developed? And in fact, we can. And I'll show you these movies, but, but probably the most interesting thing is the very first frame of the movie, because um, what you see is that in the very first frame where we just activate the system, where a cell is sitting in the spinodal region, you have this kind of worm-like connected network of phase separation, whereas in a cell that's sitting in a place that's associated with nucleation and growth region of the phase diagram, at the very first frame of the movie, we have these individual puncta. Um, so the modes of phase separation are, are, are very different. And this is starting to allow us to really map, um, take the phase diagrams and use them to uh, determine the energetics within a living cell, which is really exciting. 
In the end, though, when I play this movie, you basically get to the same place, uh, these cells, so that they form large condensed liquid droplets. It's just the mode and the way in which it gets there which reflects the underlying thermodynamics in the cell. So, what I've been trying to convey is this excitement um, that's an interplay between the fundamental cell biophysics and the engineering. Another way that I could say that um, is closely related is the, the, the links between science and technology. So, we can ask very basic science questions about how a system works and then use that to engineer technologies. And in doing that, we hope to learn about the science. Um, so, I think that, uh, you know, our group and, and, and many others are really um, trying to take advantage of a feedback between these, uh, the basic science and the technology. And in our case, it's the, the cell, cell biophysics and these engineered uh, technologies for controlling and understanding phase, phase transitions. Um, in the spirit of that productive interplay between basic and applied science, between the cell biophysics and the engineering, um, we've been making some really interesting observations uh, in cells that are expressing these, these constructs. Um, this is a cell where we have activated only half of, of the cell, half of the nucleus. And in, in doing that, we, we made this observation uh, that the droplets that form tend to be largest at the interface between where we activate and where we don't activate. Um, and so we started to wonder why would that be? Why would it be that, that the droplets tend to be uh, largest at the interface and then they tend to be smaller away from the interface between where we activate and where we don't activate? And we started thinking about it. We realized, well, this is a multi-component system after all. It's a, it's a, it, there's two components. And so one could imagine that what's happening is in the activated uh, region of the, of, of, of the phase diagram, you're sopping up all these intrinsically disordered regions, uh, intrinsically disordered protein regions. Um, and, and, and so the, the, you may be depleting those, those, uh, those IDRs from the core, and they could potentially be replenished from the non-activated region where they could diffuse in. So we started thinking about that, that idea then of phase separation in these multi-component systems where you can have capture of interacting modules, um, you know, through this kind of spatial patterning. So this is a very simple simulation of that effect. Um, and so what you see here is uh, a representation of the, of the two components. The green here, these larger green circles, are the core particles that can capture the intrinsically disordered regions. And the red particles are, are a simple representation of the intrinsically disordered regions. So each green particle could potentially capture um, up to 24 of these red particles, red particles. And what we've done in the simulation, though, is we've only turned on the interactions in the left half of this simulation box. And we ask, what happens uh, to, the, to the, the concentration profile within the simulation? So I'll play it now for you, and you'll see these red particles and the, blue, and the green particles dancing around. What happens, though, is that you, we quickly deplete the system of the red particles. And so they can still come in, though, as, as they're diffusing in from the right side of the simulation box. But the green particles that capture them tend to be the ones at the interface. And so if you look at a, a scan, a line scan across this, uh, across this axis, what you find is that um, the red particle concentration tends to be very large right at that interface. You're capturing all those red particles right at the interface. 
And we think that's exactly what's happening within uh, this, this system. Uh, a really dramatic example of that you can see here where we shine uh, light on the cell in a cell that has relatively low concentration of these intrinsically disordered regions. And so as they, as they come in, you can actually see this wave of, of depletion. The concentration builds up at the interface in, in some of these first frames, right? It builds up at the interface, crosses the phase boundary, and then phase separates right at the interface. And you end up with really a line of droplets right at the interface through this diffusive capture mechanism. Now, um, there's a whole lot of other aspects of this one starts to think about. Um, given that you can capture these disordered regions through the, uh, the interactions with the, with the core particle, is it possible that we could have cells that do not phase separate when we globally activate them, but might when we locally activate through this diffusive capture mechanism? And that's exactly what's shown here. If we activate the cell, um, the entire cell, nothing really happens. There's no phase separation. But as we activate sequentially smaller subregions of the cell, you start to get more and more material condensing uh, out. And, 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 and uh, so what's really interesting about this is that when we figure out where we are, where this cell is with respect to the phase boundary, what, what's happening is that Initially, the cell may be residing outside of this binodal boundary so that it's not capable of phase separating. But by activating subregions of the cell, we actually can drive the system deep into the two-phase region, and then, it, then it's capable of phase separating into these condensed states. What that means in the context of endogenous processes is that cells might be able to locally turn on interactions and, and capture proteins to exceed a concentration threshold and thereby drive phase separation locally even while the concentrations may be globally too low so that phase separation cannot occur. I think that's a really, uh, really interesting uh, concept that we're starting to uh, find evidence for in, in, in uh, a few different places. You can see an example of that here where these are cells where this is the dark state when we globally activate you see that nothing happens. There's nothing that condenses out. But when we locally activate in these, in these different regions, you see condensation or phase separation. So the system, under local, uh, locally turning on the interactions, we can, we can get it to phase separate. Now, there's a lot of fun you can have with these systems um, in, in, in uh, locally patterning. So we, because we can, it's light activated, we can shine light to different regions of the cell for example, writing three by three arrays within the cell uh, nucleus and get uh, individual arrays of droplets. Or um, this is one of my favorites. This is e Evil Droplet Man, uh, where the, the droplets are formed, uh, you know, the, the light is patterned in a smiley face. And, um, and you know, to me, this is just sort of a mind-blowing thing that we, we, we are able to shine light to draw a smiley face of a condensed liquid state of matter within a living cell is sort of like, you know. So I, I, I get very excited about these things, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope you can see why. Um, there's a lot of other aspects of, of the biology and, and things that are, we think are occurring in living cells that we're starting to tease out um, through these uh, kind of biomimetic engineered systems. In particular, one that is, is, I think, really fascinating is local activation imparting global memory. So we can take these two cells uh, uh, and, and globally activate, so just shine light on the whole system. And, um, and you see that in both cases, we're capable of phase separating. You can get 
droplets condensing out um, throughout, the, throughout the nucleus of these cells. But if I first locally activate and soak up some of those um, IDRs that are in the nucleus, then the situation actually changes. So if I first locally activate this cell, just this cell, now locally activate and get these two droplets that form, they soak up the disordered regions. If I then globally activate the whole, the whole field, you can see I'm globally activating because this cell now uh, is condensing into these droplets. But this cell now no longer forms droplets elsewhere because these two spots have soaked up all the intrinsically disordered regions. So that imparts a kind of memory in the cytoplasm uh, for where phase separation can occur. It's already occurred in these two places, so it can't occur elsewhere. Um, So that's a really interesting idea. uh, And there's a a few papers you can look at um, that explore this. In particular, this paper uh, uh, by my uh, collaborator, uh, Jared Tocher, um, uh, has really explored this idea in some detail, and it's quite interesting. So these systems have been really very powerful, and we've been hooking them up to uh, really dozens of different types of proteins in uh, systems ranging from human cells to, to yeast and C. elegans and others. Um, and it's, I think, a really nice example of this interplay between the fundamental cell biophysics um, and, and, and engineered systems where we're learning from one uh, to go to the other and then back and forth. Um, and so we're very excited to, to continue to push these technologies forward and to use them uh, to understand uh, the biophysical rules that govern phase separation and to get to really high-precision quantitative phase diagrams in living cells and, and the connections with uh, the, the cell biology and, and disease. I want to thank you for your attention. Um, uh, I want to also highlight two key members of my lab that have been essential for pushing this work forward. One is Youngdae Shin, um, a former postdoc who's now uh, a faculty member at Seoul National University, and also Dan Braha, uh, who has, um, has been really key for pushing this, uh, the second system that I told you about, this correlate system where we can really map phase diagrams in cells for the first time. Um, I also want to thank uh, the other members of my lab. We really, really great group. I'm very uh, fortunate to be able to work with, uh, uh, you know, a really wonderful set of students and postdocs and uh, a lot of fantastic collaborators and mentors that I've had. Um, and I'd also like to thank our funding. Um, and thank you for your attention. <laughs>